on uh, my movie for next week. Oh, what is it going to be? Uh, I just decided on Nightmare on Elm Street because it's been years since I've watched those. So like the original? Yeah, the very first Not one. the remake. So I should go watch the Jackie Earl Haley remake? Just no, so not that, that one. We can like, yeah, because that's real fucking bad. That was... Yes, not so good. Not so good. Speaking of stinkers. That, that didn't, didn't fucking spin off any sequels. <laughs> yeah, uh, I always wondered about that. I was like, I wonder if they're going to do a sequel. Because they kind of cost much to make that movie, right? Like, yeah. like how much did those movies cost to make? I know they spent more on the remakes than they did on the originals yeah. and stuff. So they probably spent at least $50 million on it. But I'm still like, $50 million to these guys these days is like nothing make a sequel yeah. i'm sure you know whatever. i was tempted to say new nightmare but uh you guys already did a west craven meta horror movie so that's that's true we did i was actually surprised I, I think i think new nightmare is probably a better meta horror movie than scream is but i i have to go watch new nightmare again to actually say that but i remember it more fondly than i am currently remembering scream after watching it last <laughs> week i guess yeah you still gave Scream like a nine out of ten, though. I I do I did because I, I do like, after I just, all that. It, it, I enjoyed it, and then most of it was just me bullshitting because I've seen that movie so many times, right? Like yeah. it's a million. It's like I've seen that movie a hundred times. Also, like how can you give a low score to a movie that has Rose McGowan in that many amazing outfits? Like it just doesn't. <laughs> the math doesn't track for me, so it Fair should be a higher enough. score. Either way, welcome back to Dance Robot Dance, everybody. This is episode one sixty nine. So we have to make sure we emphasize that 69 part just because <laughs> Indeed. 69 dudes. So we're back and we should just first congratulate Christy and Mark on their lovely nuptials last weekend. We had a congratulations guys. Yes. Thanks for having us. It was fun to be there and celebrate with you in very nerdy fashion. So uh, as per the request that we got from some of the people in the wedding party last week, we're going to forego our usual stuff and we're just going to spend two hours reviewing. And by reviewing, I mean tearing apart Christie's wedding now. So I have <laughs> just a laundry list of notes, starting first of all with the Harry Potterness of it all. <laughs> no, Christy. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. But yeah, we had a good time. It was a lovely day. It was a little cool. <laughs> Other than that, you know, October weddings, trying to stand outside and be a smoker is kind of a pain in the ass. But other than that. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, that's what you get for being antisocial. Well, uh, that's what Christy gets for playing Aquas like four times <laughs> in a fucking row. Two Aqua songs. I I fucking started that too. Like I, I went up to her and like trolled her and said like, Christy, I'm disappointed there hasn't been any Aqua yet. She's like, you're right. And then she yeah. went and played. I figured she was going to go play fucking Barbie Girl, but I should yeah. have known better. And she went and fucking played Dr. Jones. And then like two songs later played Barbie Girl. <laughs> Yeah, we were sitting outside. <laughs> like, we left because Dr. Jones came on. I remember specifically walking outside with, like, a fucking group of people walked outside with us. You know what I mean? It wasn't just, like, me yeah. and your wife. It was, like, a bunch of us walked outside. <laughs> Mass exodus. And then, like, three songs later, we're all like, oh, man, what if the, the songs are going to improve? The music's going to improve. And then fucking Barbie Girl came on, and we were like, well, I guess I'm just staying out here freezing <laughs> to death tonight. Because, like, I'm not well, going Well, I'm back. going home. <laughs> yeah, I'm basically done. It's over, right? Like, this is the end of the wedding. But, no, I had a really good time. So it was End nice of the to- marriage. Yeah, the end of the marriage. Exactly. Mark, what are you thinking? Seriously, she played Barbie Girl two songs at your wedding reception. You should have a conversation. I'm just saying, I know neither of you listen to the show, but I'm just, I just want to put it out there. You guys should have a conversation about that. But, yeah. You know. But oh, we had a good time. So let's get ready to dive into the news because there's like, there's a fuck ton of shit to talk about this week. So. Yeah, there's a bunch. So, first of all, right at the top, our Lord Kevin Feige has been granted more power by his Disney brethren i guess so he's got a major title change and is now chief creative officer of marvel studios and kind of marvel entertainment also in what sounds like a giant move to just kind of get ike perlmutter just removed from all decision making process which is probably for the best 
which is absolutely for the best, let's be honest here. So the new pecking order at Marvel is no longer Ike and Feige fighting out at the top. It's Feige at the top. And now Dan Buckley reports up to him. Yeah. And then Buckley reports to Perlmutter on only on financial stuff, but he reports to Feige on all the creative stuff. And I guess all the comic book stuff. So CB Sabolsky and Joe Quesada kind of stay under Buckley at Marvel Comics kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how that's working out. But big things for everybody who is going on and on about like, oh, Feige's going to leave Marvel and go do Star Wars. I don't fucking think yeah. that's ever going to happen now. <laughs> no, he's way too invested in all of this. Yeah, I think the only time he leaves Marvel is to take over Disney, period. Like, become the chairman of Disney, probably in 20 years or something like that. That's down the road. Look back at this era of Marvel media, like, in 20, 30 years from now, and, like, Kevin Feige is going to be this generation's, like, Stanley. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He already is. Like, like you you can hear other podcasters talk about him like that. And, like, we kind of do. Like, we always refer to Kevin Feige as, like, he's the centerpiece of that entire franchise. he's the glue that's holding all that together. Yeah, and he's making it all work. Like very, very well. I mean, I, there's everybody's got little comments about the Marvel movies, but not me so much. <laughs> I think they're all great. And uh, he's doing a fucking bang up job. So I'm really happy about the way this structure works out because it means we don't have Perlmutter fucking up the works on the Marvel TV side anymore. It also means that all the Marvel TV stuff, so like everything, is now under Kevin Feige's purview. So yeah. none of this weird Netflix divide or like Shield on ABC divide kind of stuff. It's all under his purview and probably all going to happen on Disney plus or Hulu going forward so that he can control the content. I'm happy for anything that takes away power and notoriety of Ike Perlmutter noted Trump supporter and donor and douchebag notorious douchebag. Also it means, I mean, I think it means Jeff Loeb is retiring, but also what has he done really for us? It's that great. (laughs) So that's fine too. Uh, I really appreciate long Halloween, Jeff, just if you're listening, (laughs) your TV contributions have been, interesting yeah. let's put it that way in humans jo- yeah fuck <laughs> just you know just yeah that's all you got to say really is right in humans casting news apparently neil patrick harris is going to be entering the matrix yeah has been cast that's in matrix form weird weird casting <laughs> but like hey man i'm cool i'd like neil patrick harris yeah i like so. mph I'll, I'll happily watch in a matrix movie they're gonna give him an action scene to do that's what i want to see is him like kicking ass yeah just him kicking ass right <laughs> Uh, maybe he's like the grown-up version of you no know, that that mouse kid or whatever died right maybe but but fucking neo died and he's back so maybe i guess <laughs> I think, didn't trinity die too i'm pretty sure she died in that movie did she die in the original movies uh, or she died come back or no like trinity that? survives i think i was thinking he was the the kid who bent the spoon at the beginning mm, that's him grown up maybe. that's what i was thinking maybe. anyway i just like pulling weird random characters yeah. and like saying that's who they're gonna be <laughs> even though it's gonna be a made-up thing anyway lots of casting though this week so we got a ton of casting about the batman so mm-hmm. matt reeves batman movie with robert pattinson under the cowl has cast a Catwoman and a penguin no, sorry, no, a Riddler, Riddler yeah. actually. The, the, penguin, penguin. the penguin was maybe disproven. Well, they, they at least passed on Jonah Hill, or Jonah Hill passed on the role or whatever, which I know we'd mentioned previously. Yes, which is fine. But uh, so Zoe Kravitz has signed on to play Selena Kyle Catwoman in the upcoming movie. And a dude named Paul Danos, who's been in a bunch of stuff that I've not seen, has signed up to play the Riddler. So it's almost like they are, at first when they were like, he's playing the penguin, I was like, oh shit, they're just making Batman Returns again. And I don't need this movie. But... <laughs> We're doing the Riddler, and hopefully we're going to do like a grown-up take on the Riddler, which means I should be in, on board for this uh, 100%, because it's nice that they're not just, hey, man, we're going to do the Joker again. Like, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. I don't need to see another Joker Batman movie. Wait till the third one to do that one. Or, you know, like the last successful franchise you ran, wait till the second one to yeah. do it. 
because that worked out real well. Yeah, I'm cool with, I mean, a lot of, there's always unfortunately going to be people being like, oh my God, fucking Catwoman should be white and whatever, but we're just going to ignore that part. But I'm just, I'm not a big Zoe Kravitz person. So like I could take her leave her kind of thing, but I don't think she's a bad choice, but I don't also don't think nope. she's like an obvious, like, Oh my God. Yeah. That's going to be great kind of choice. And I'm kind of the yes, same on Paul Dano as well. Like maybe he's going to be amazing. I mean, I saw him. Uh, I remember mostly from uh, little miss sunshine. Oh, there will be blood. Yeah. From yeah there will good be blood. I mean, he's an indie movie guy. Right. And so maybe yeah, that's yeah. the way that they're going with this because they are doing like the sort of detective. Like that's what Matt Reeves has been saying is he's going to do more of a, like a detective story. So maybe they're going the noir kind of way with it and trying to take it a little bit more indie because fuck that made them a shitload of money for Joker, regardless of what we thought of it. So yeah, that's true. I'm fine with a more like grounded Batman movie and like just, I'm kind of in the Kevin Smith camp. Like he's had this idea where they're like, make a Batman movie a year. It doesn't have to be the same Batman every year. Yeah. You know what I mean? Make a $50 million like this, like $50 million detective yeah. story one year, next make year, your, throw him in the fucking yeah, justice make your league. Big old you know fucking what I mean? Blockbuster like, big, kind of thing. Yeah. Like he's such a flexible character that you could use him constantly. And like, people are like, Oh, you get Batman fatigue. I'm like, fuck when, <laughs> when does that ever Says happen who? in the history of yeah. comic books? Yeah, like when has that ever happened? He's Batman. Yeah. People just read all this shit anyway. So I don't know why they always throw these huge like productions behind it. But at the same time, I'm behind all this stuff. I was kind of I had in my head fan casted like Carl Urban and Eva Green in those two roles, like Batman and Catwoman. So I was like, that's my fan cast, like older fan cast, yeah. I guess. But that's not gonna happen because they want everybody to be twenty one so they can be in these movies for three decades and like Okay, cool. I guess. I mean, not that. I mean, we know Robert Pattinson's like our age yeah. now, so whatever. But the other two like are both in their twenties, so they're very young compared to yeah. everybody else. I mean, it's so. just it's but not yeah, casting I mean, that like crazy excites me, but it also like doesn't yeah. make me worried for the movie or anything either. I was more excited when they cast Jeffrey yeah, Wright that, a couple weeks ago as yeah. Commissioner Gordon. I was like, that's awesome because I know he can act his yeah. like ass off, right? Like he's going to be great in that role. So, and like Zoe Kravitz has been in stuff that I think she's fine in, but I'm like, I've never seen her like blow me out of the water. But again, it's Selena Kyle. It's like the hardest role to play on the planet. Yeah, you just got to be like a vixen kind of thing. Yeah, and if Anne Hathaway can pull it off, and she's really not a vixen, and she made it work she for me. She fucking holy shit! Yeah, yeah, like she crushed it. So I like I know people shit on that one, but like I think that was like perfect casting. For that oh, yeah, I, love, like I mean, Hathaway. I've I've always had a yes. fucking soft spot for Anne Hathaway in general, but I think yeah, we're like, the only podcast on the planet that does have a soft spot. I mean, hard spot, I guess, technically. Because we're like, not we're a podcast full of asshole misogynists. I just think she's super hot. So, I mean, I guess that kind of makes me a misogynist, <laughs> but like, also, I think she's a pretty decent actress, too. Yeah. And she totally took the piss out of herself in Ocean's 8, I want to say. Like, she was so playing herself it. being like the bitchy Anne Hathaway that everybody hates. She was yeah. playing that role. I'm like, oh, she gets it. This is great. Why do people hate her again? Look at her. How can you hate that? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we'll move on now from me being gross, which is like a running theme the last couple of weeks. <laughs> um, I have some DC Comics news, man. Did you see this thing about Superman? Like Bendis is revealing Superman's identity again? Yeah, it happened like four years ago and it didn't stick. I have faith that Bendis will treat it better than I can't even remember who it was that treated it previously. But yes. Would that, uh, would that have been during Snyder's run? Uh, but it wasn't Snyder who wrote that. But I remember it happening like while he was working it on Batman. might have been Morrison's run. Oh, okay. I don't remember. Whoever did it, it was pretty weak. And then it got like erased 
a few months later. Like people are up in arms about this, and I'm like, guys, the next time they do Flashpoint or like they they reboot the universe, which they're going to do eventually because DC, they'll just reboot that too. Like it's yeah. not that big a deal. You know? Yeah, so. and there's been there's already like New York Comic Con. There were a big a bunch of big announcements about like DC like announced sort of a retconned like timeline for their universe and said like that they're coming up on like a fifth generation that sounds like it might be another like soft reboot kind of thing, but it's not a lot of info on it yet. So, uh, I mean, I, it's cool. Like I, I've really liked what Bendis has been doing with Superman. So if Bendis wants to tell some stories about Superman's secret identity becoming public, then I have faith that there'll be good stories. My only hope is that if they do pull the trigger on this, that they leave it, you know, that they, it sticks and that it's not fucking like six months and we're back to nobody knowing anymore because magic or technology or some bullshit like that. I will make the same joke I made in the subreddit about Spider-Man when everybody was like, how are they going to get rid of Spider-Man's identity being revealed in the movies? I'm like, as long as they don't do what they did in the comics and he doesn't make a deal with the devil that cost him his marriage, we're doing better than we did in the comics. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, cause that's how they did it in Spidey. When yeah, he yeah, unveiled yeah. With uh, was his it identity or whatever. Yeah, they well, yeah. It was like post Civil War. He went to fucking the devil himself and made so, a deal. And it was one day more. Uh, one more day. Yeah. One more day. Yes. Yeah. Awful. Awful <laughs> shit. So, like, when I saw this, I just started having Spider-Man flashbacks, and was like, "Oh God, don't do this to Big Blue too." Like, we I've done this like five times with a bunch of my heroes, yeah. and like, it always gets retconned back out. You know, like it always gets retconned back out. But we're in that age now where, like, most of these superheroes, like, the MCU guys, most of them don't have secret identities except for Spider-Man, right? So, yeah, there's that that world is different now than it was back then. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm going to take a look at it because I've been meaning to get into Bendis' Superman run. I got a bunch of comics I've been reading anyway that we'll get into later. Other than that, there's some TV shows that I'm kind of curious to talk about. So, Jeff Smith's Bone, which is a long-running comic series that Tim may be familiar with. I'm assuming Tim's familiar with. It's a huge Vaguely, fucking yeah. thing. Yeah, uh, it's a big indie book. Um, yeah. It was huge in the 90s. It was one of those books that Wizard always talked about. It's being turned into an animated series. I'm not exactly sure where. I didn't look, but I saw the it's headline. Netflix. On Netflix? Yeah. yeah, so we're going to get a Netflix Bone series, which is awesome. Bone's fantastic. You should totally, maybe not read it because it's like 400 issues or whatever, but you should I want to say, didn't Telltale do a Bone game at one point? I, they may have, but that's... And if they did, I think I might have played it, and I think that might be like my only experience with the character, yeah. Yeah, I liked the book. I read the Jeff Smith, like the original comic back in the day. Like, I think I have the anthologies at the house. They were really good. So yeah. I'm excited for that. Like, it's a fun, like, it's weird because it's like cartoony, but it gets very serious and stuff like that. So it's kind of a weird juxtaposition between like the style of the animation and like, or the art style in the comic, I guess. Yeah, I was always intrigued by the drawing style of like the art style of the book, but it just yeah. wasn't the sort of title that uh, necessarily ever grabbed me. Yeah, I just waited till when he said it was done. I was like, I'm going to read through the whole fucking thing because he's put out like 300 and something issues. And that's like, Oof. that's just something worth celebrating, yeah. just having done that by himself, basically. So I was like, I got to get into this and see what he did. <laughs> And it's cool to read like a single storyteller going from beginning to end and seeing like how they improve as a writer, but also like he's improving as an artist as he goes along and like, like going from issue one to issue 300, like the art's like night and day kind of thing. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty crazy, but that's something that I'd be looking forward to. That was a good story and it'd be cool to see it uh, adapted into animation. Another thing that has been picked up somewhere, um, Mike Mignola, creator of Hellboy is developing an animated anthology series called the forever house, hmm. which is supposed to be some kind of like i'll just read the synopsis promises to encapsulate the feeling of an ancient tale told by the fire set inside the titular abode the forever house is described as a mysterious piece of unreal estate 
and one-of-a-kind hub for otherworldly objects and international artifacts with dark histories. That sounds like a Mike Mignola thing. I'm going to fucking watch the shit out of this because... Unreal yeah. Estate. I see what they did there. Groan. See, you get it? Yeah, see, we, that's what you get when you get copywriters <laughs> writing it instead of Mike Mignola because yeah. he wouldn't have written that. I mean, I love Mike uh, Mignola's art, so if they draw off his style for the animation, then it could be <sighs> real cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still waiting for a, a Hellboy animated movie to do that properly. Like, I've never seen one that really just, like, delves into, like, the inky blacks. Yeah. Like, that. just the, the coating of black that he puts on everything is just, like, it's exquisite how black his pages are. I'm not trying to be racist. He literally just pours fucking indie ink on yeah. everything. And it's awesome. And it's, it, would be, it wouldn't be a particularly expensive animation style or drawing style to animate either, because, like, it's all, nope. like really shadowy like limited colors like not a lot of uh like very not 2D, a lot of detail like, yeah, not a lot of uh, detail yeah. well it's very based on uh mcnola got his start kind of uh on the back of the batman animated yeah. comic like he started in there so he's got that kind of tone to it but it's just got it's just that with just even more black on it almost if you can even imagine <laughs> Batman the animated series darker than it already is. That's Hellboy's art. So, I, I if they did animated, I'd be awesome. But if this is like it does say animated, so if it's animated in a style that reflects his illustration style, whew, it's just going to be worth watching just to watch it at that point. Yeah, you know what I mean. So that's pretty cool. Two other quick things. I think we got the full list of stuff that will be on Disney Plus next month when it and launches. the rest of the podcast will just be us listing it. Yeah, just listing it. And I'm not going to list it. You can go fucking find the Twitter thread that was like 900 fucking yeah. tweets of shit. The, the big one that caught my attention was that there's like, they're only getting like six Marvel movies when they start. <laughs> like everything's else signed out to Netflix or For whatever while, right now. Yeah. So it doesn't yeah, so I think they'll have Endgame in the first couple months. Like they'll have the two newest Avengers movies, but like the vast majority are still out at Netflix. So there was, I want to say, a dozen movies that are not going to be on that service when it launches. And then there, we still don't know what's going to happen with the Spidey movies because those are technically yeah. Sony. So we don't know where they're going to land either. And, you know, how Sony and Marvel have been getting along super like famously. Gangbusters. Well, there's a rumor going around again that like Marvel is basically like, we'll give you $5 billion like today. And you just give us Spider-Man back because we're fucking yeah. sick of this shit. And I was like, yeah, let's do this fucking thing. Give them $5 billion. They'll fuck that up and be out of business in five years. And you'll have Spider-Man back. And you can make $5 billion with Spider-Man. Like, yeah. how can you not? Yeah. It's Spider-Man. Like, it's super easy. So, well, here's hoping anyway, because this fucking Sony shit's driving me insane. Yeah. There's so. still some, like, glaring omissions. I mean, like, everybody was, you know, saying, like, oh, are they going to do, like, Song of the South and shit like that? And that's not, none of that stuff oh, yeah. is on there. And there's some other sort of more yeah, tumultuous and controversial kind of stuff that doesn't show up on there. But there's also all sorts of fucking, like, deep cut, like, you know, all those, like, old straight-to-video fucking sequels and, like, all the old, like, live-action stuff and really random like one-off fucking made for tv animated movies and like christmas specials and shit yeah. like that so it'll be interesting i'm interesting to see what it how it like pans out when it actually launches because i'm i'm gonna sign up for it because i i figure all my tv watching will be happening on that because all these marvel shows are just going to be my life for the next year so yeah i'm i'm the most interested in like uh, the original content for it, like the, I mean, the Mandalorian, obviously I'm fucking super excited for yeah, Mandalorian, And then yeah. there's also going to be like some Disney parks related stuff, like stuff where they're going to like go sort of behind the scenes in Imagineering and that kind of thing that I'm going to be there for as well. So 
So the last two things, it's like movie season, like we're getting kind of stuff coming out. Zombieland 2 came out. I haven't seen it yet. And as did Jay and Bob reboot, I have not seen them yet. I've heard reviews of both being like, they're great for what they are. Yeah, and I'm like, exactly. I'm going to go see them. That's exactly what I wanted from both movies. Yeah, I'll probably go see the Jay and Simon Bob reboot. I think I might try and go see that on uh, Sunday. Yeah, I'm going to try and see it this weekend too, but we'll see what happens. I'd like to see it before we recording yeah so there's that other than that that was all the news i had did you pick anything else up that i missed well the only other one just came out yesterday yesterday about there for the longest time people have been wondering where if anywhere the streaming rights to the studio ghibli movies would end up oh yeah and just yesterday it was announced that they're gonna be going on hbo max uh so yeah yeah, and it was literally like a couple days before that they had one of the ghibli studios had said that they might never go on a streaming Streaming. service and then like the next day they were like Oh, by the way, it's all going to HBO Max. So, why? Because what, what somebody saw that and was like, "Well, let's just put a hundred million dollars in front of them and see what they say." And yeah. they were like, "We will take it, okay." And like that was the end of that. Yeah. So, like all those like Miyazaki movies, Howl's Moving yeah. Castle, Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, all that kind of stuff. We'll be going Stuff that in theory we could watch now and not have one of our co-hosts wretch the entire time. So, <laughs> I mean, we could review one. That was of only that was only Totoro. That's right. I think she probably well, had. There's probably she other. probably had issues with uh, No Face as well. That's No Face's House Moving Castle or Spirited Away. Yeah, yeah House Moving. Uh, I think it's House Moving yeah, Castle. It's been, ages it's been a while since I've seen. Yeah, it. yeah I got to sit down. Stuff. Hey man, they're coming to HBO Max. I'll just watch them when they start streaming. <laughs> I sit down. I'll make a little date and we'll sit down and we'll watch a bunch of Studio Ghibli movies. Yeah. I'll have to get real stoned because those fucking movies are weird. Yeah. <laughs> weird. All right, it's Geek of the Week time then. Geek of the week. So this is the segment where we tell each other the geekiest thing we did this week. So Tim, what was the nerdiest thing you did this week? Uh, we already mentioned it. Christy and Mark's wedding was by far the geekiest yeah. thing that I did in the last week. So Mark sort of implied earlier it was pretty much entirely Harry Potter themed. It's which just goes to show how much Mark loves Christy because Mark is yeah. not really oh, yeah. a Harry Potter guy. <laughs> yeah. But like yeah. it was incorporated into the ceremony. There was like quotes from the fucking movies and the or the books or whatever in the ceremony, and there was yeah. people were encouraged to dress in their house colors. So I wore uh, Ravenclaw blue and like gold bronze and Alicia wore Slytherin green and Mark kind of wore Slytherin green. Well, I had a, well, I've only had a blue jacket, <laughs> but I was all in black. So yeah, other all dark. than that, so uh, yeah, I was very dark. So I'm, I was Slytherin. I had my hair in Slytherin style. I was slicked straight back yeah. and looking greasy. Yeah. So I, I would think I, was, I pulled the parfait off yeah. properly. I look like a villain just walking around <laughs> anyway. So that's cool. And they had like all the house banners behind the head table and there's a little honey dukes table full of candy. And they had the, all the, a bunch of like candles hanging from the ceiling with fishing lines. So once it got dark, it kind of looked like yeah. the Yule ball lights and everything. And that actually actually looked really cool it was at the art gallery of hamilton which is where christy works which i think we've ta- said on the podcast before so whatever yeah don't stalk her there yeah. though guys That'd be creepy. <laughs> and so their little event space is windowed on all sides and by the time it got dark you could like see the reflection of those candles so it kind of looked like an infinity mirror like back and forth kind of thing so ended up yeah. being some like really nice effects and fucking christy walked down the aisle to like soundtrack from the movies and shit and yeah yeah 
Yeah, it was the most Harry Potter thing that I've ever experienced in my yeah. life. And I'm cool with that. Like, that can be the most Harry Potter I've ever experienced <laughs> in my life. I think I am good with I that. I don't know. At some point, we got to get you to the uh, Wizarding World stuff that, uh, even, just true. to get you some butterbeer because that shit's fucking delicious. And the theming Fair is enough. really, really good. See, I'm really into, like, those the theme park idea just because of, like, I, I'm into the branding side of it or, like, the how they build it yeah. to look like that world kind of thing. Like, the theme. Yeah, the immersion and the design and everything that goes into it. And, yeah. like, there's Mina Lima shops. Mina Lima is like the design house that did all the Harry Potter stuff. Yeah. And so there's uh, shops there where you can get like buy like print kind of stuff from the movies and that kind of thing too because there's so much collateral in that universe. Yeah. So Totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was going to talk about House of X and Powers of X but I, we probably should just talk about Christie's Wedding. You can talk about those. I, I already talked about Christie's Wedding. <laughs> Yeah, I know you could just pile on to Christie's wedding. What else did it, what else did they do? Oh, all the the tables were themed too, right? Like yeah. they themed everything. Like everything was themed. So like their photo booth had like Harry Potter paraphernalia. The fo- the photo booth that wasn't working by the time we left. Oh yeah, well there's barely working when we were there, so there was that too. We had the each of the tables was named after one of the classes yeah. so we were like mystic runes or something like that study of mystic yeah. runes and they had little yeah, we had we had one little of the, activities and shit yeah and then we had they had like little textbooks that they'd covered up and stuff like that to make it look like actual hogwarts texts and stuff it was pretty neat it was a fun little yeah. night i had a good time but yeah no so like my actual geek of the week was that i read like a bunch of x-men comics and i really enjoy what they're doing on those books right now and so like the relaunch has happened right so like x-men That's number the, one started all the jonathan hitch stuff uh jonathan hickman yeah hickman right yeah hickman. so hickman just relaunched like it was two books house of x and powers of x i just want to say whoever came up with the fucking reading order on that was a fucking idiot like just <laughs> it was a nightmare because it was like i mean i guess if you were reading them like as they came out week to week you were just getting it and reading it and kind of putting it away but if you yeah, were like yeah. storing them it, it's like House of X 1 through 6 and then Powers of X 1 through 6. But there's more like you got to read issue 1 and then 1 and then 2 and then 2 and then 3 and then 3 and then 4 and then 3 or 5. And then like it, it starts skipping back and forth. And I was like, yeah. this is getting really fucking complicated. To like, That's just- why I love the triangle numbering yeah. era Superman comics. They need that sort of shit for those kind of storylines, right? You need to say like, yeah, this is chapter one or chat and then chapter two and whatever, apart from the actual issue numbering. Yeah, I just made it a pain in the ass, like in my comicsology, because they're divvied up by title, right? So if I was like, oh, I got to go to like, house of x right or now i'd have to like back out into the interface and like go find house of x and like find those six issues read that fourth one then it'd be like yeah, yeah now go to power of x six and i'd be like what happened to five like what's going on i don't understand yeah, that's that's something that i wish that marvel unlimited would do would ha- yeah. be like to have like a reading list where you can just go and say like i want to read this whole storyline and all the motherfucking tie-ins yeah and then it will just be like okay here's the first you know here's chapter one here's the first issue yeah. here's you know the tie-ins in between issue one and issue two of the main crossover series or whatever and so you can do that much more easily because rather than having a like fucking cross-reference like an external reading list or something yeah i had to take a picture of the reading list and keep going back to make sure i was reading the right issue because i started reading an issue and i was like this is not i don't what the fuck's going on and that happens a lot in this series because it's bouncing around a lot like it's a very involved series but like i was reading an issue and like i was about three pages in and being like I don't think this is the right one. And I had to go back to the list and whatever. I got real frustrated about halfway through and had to like take all the files, strip them and like put them in a separate comic reader and just put them in mm-hmm. order so that I could just flip through them properly. Once I got all that done, like that frustration was out of the way. Honestly, best X-Men comic I've read in fucking like three decades. I was like, this makes sense. Nice. They're like 
All the characters are being used properly. I don't hate Cyclops for the first time in a decade. It's crazy. It ties in a bunch of like legacy and stuff yeah. like that and old storylines together. All and kinds interesting of cool old storylines. It's always not. I'm so fucking glad Logan's alive again because he's just bombing around being a dick bag. And I'm like, this is fucking great. Thank God Wolverine's alive again. Because it was like a long fucking five years without him, you know? Like it sucked on the Marvel side while Logan was dead. So he's back and everybody's back. And How'd they bring him back this time? Oh, fuck. Who knows? I can't remember anymore. <laughs> there was a mini series. I know I, I read it, but I remember he died this most recent time. He was locked in a brick of adamantium. So I was like, they probably magicked him out. I'm assuming they magicked him out. I can't think of any <laughs> other way to get him out of that. But okay. yeah. I don't know. All I know is like the X-Men are back. It feels like it's been like three fucking decades since I've read an X-Men book and be like, oh, oh yeah, I like reading X-Men. I used to like reading the X-Men a lot. It just got too convoluted for me. And then they stopped caring about the books because of the Fox-like stuff. So they became real kind of like, we're canceling them, super disjointed, creative teams are shuffling all over the place. So you just kind of gave up on the X-Men for a long time. It sounds like Hickman's in for the fucking long haul. So if he's bringing this level of talent, like this level of story to X-Men, yeah. we're going to be in a good place for X-Men stories for the next couple of years, I think. It's kind of going to be like having Tom King on Batman, I think, for the next couple of years. Nice. Is uh, Hickman doing... Yeah, I always like when they have people that have like a long time, you know, long term like plan, plan for a book yeah. kind of thing, and then they actually get to execute it. Yeah, yeah. It'll be nice if he gets to do like a nice like forty fifty issue run, or even after ha- like House and Powers is done now. So that's already twelve issues out. Uh, X Men number one came out this week, which was great and very horny, oddly enough, because like the big thing is <laughs> that's like, what I've heard. Have, we have to procreate, right? Like that's their kind of edict now. Yeah, um, so, like multiply the mutants and stuff. But no, it's really good. We'll have to. I don't know if we'll have to review it or something like that. Or Paul and I can do a two-hander because that would require you to read a bunch of Marvel. <laughs> would be... Hey, I got Marvel Unlimited. I just have to wait for, the, for it to hit Marvel Unlimited, which That's takes true. a few months. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you should be getting the first couple issues pretty soon, I think. Probably. Are they still six months or are they down to three? I think it's a three-month lag. I'm not totally sure. Oh. I'm, I don't read much new stuff on it. I mostly read yeah. back issues. Yeah, it was six when it started and we all complained. But I'm, I hope it's just down to three now because that would make it very easy because that yeah. that series would be getting ready to drop at that point because it started a while ago now so but either way yeah house of x and powers of x was great so i'm on board for x-men going forward i've re-added nice. a couple of the books to my comicsology so that i can start like getting back into that side of the universe it's just nice to having it feels like marvel's whole again basically like we're mm-hmm. kind of everybody's like we're getting to have fantastic four stories that don't suck and they're actually promoting we're having x-men stories that are amazing and they're promoting and like i mean we still get they never really cut spider-man off but they didn't always emphasize spider-man like spider-man's got that jj abrams series that's not great but like mm-hmm. is happening right now and is a big deal so it's cool that marvel's actually for the first time it feels like a couple like at least a decade and at least since we've been doing this podcast for sure i feel like i'm like oh marvel comics actually doing good work nice like we're there again yeah because it's, it's been a while so yeah nice. cool so that's uh that's geek of the week. Meat of the episode time. Meat of the episode. Liquid green meat. I was going to say something about pea soup flavored meat or something like yep. that. Nice. <laughs> Close enough. So we watched The Exorcist. It's spooky Halloween time. It's time to <laughs> for us to talk about The Exorcist. Yay! So this is a 1973 movie that has had multiple sequels that we will probably talk about at the end, none of which are very good. <laughs> but we just watched the original. We did watch the director's cut, I think, both of us, right? Like we watched yeah. the, the version that's on iTunes now or whatever. Yep. So yeah. So this is the 1973 classic starring 
God only knows, Linda Blair, uh, Ellen Burstyn, Jason Miller, and Max von Sydow, I think is the main cast of the movie. Yep. <laughs> Along with uh, Mercedes McCambridge is the voice of Pazuzu. So there is that. Let's just do a little bit of history with this. Like, have you seen, you've seen this before? Like, oh, yeah. what do you think of The Exorcist? Yeah, I mean, it's a fucking classic. Definitely, I can't remember the first time I saw it, but it was probably like late teens, early 20s, which was where I really started getting into horror. And I was like, you know, it would be go to the video store, like pick up a few classics and like educate myself kind of thing. Yep. And yeah, I mean, this is one that definitely stuck with me since back in those days. It is absolutely a classic and with good reason. Yeah, I mean, it basically started a whole new fucking subgenre of like possession exorcism horror movies that yeah. this year it Demonic seems children. like yeah we seem seems like we get like one big budget of one of those like at least every year now maybe multiple a year. Yeah, it seems that, like the possession story seems to come back like once every couple of years is like a big thing. I remember they just had that Jeffrey Dean Morgan one that was like like a big budget thing that they really yeah. pushed a couple of years ago. Yeah. There's like exorcism of, of Emily Rose, which was in yeah. the last few years and stuff like that too. And yeah, there's, I mean, even, even this series has had a TV show in the last couple of years that we can kind of talk about a little yeah. bit. Cause I think you've watched that, right? Oh yeah. I watched, watched that watch whole thing. I, I yeah. couldn't tell you what happened in it at this point, but I still have good impressions of it. I remember it being solid overall. Yeah, I remember enjoying, especially the first season in particular, I enjoyed the first season quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, I remember the second one dropping off a little bit. Um, yeah. But, uh, Next Sonic Teenage Warhead Regina. was in it, though. Yeah. She, didn't yeah. she play Linda, or fuck, what's her name, son, or daughter? I, no, uh, she was in the second season. She was one of the the kids at the shelter. Oh, right, right, right. With, uh, Jason Cho's Yeah, character. one of the foster kids Jason or something. Cho, right. Yeah. Yeah. She was like the oldest foster kid. All right, now now that show's coming back to me. Yeah. The, the first season was the two blonde daughters with Alan Ruck and Gina Davis. Yeah. Gina who, Davis. Gina Davis, who yeah. they revealed eventually was actually Reagan from... Yeah the movie we're talking about tonight and alan ruck looked super stunned kind of like he always looks now i don't know <laughs> why he has that bit part but it's like ever since star trek 7 like when he was in generations and he played the stunned captain of the enterprise b that's his role now <laughs> like he shows up and stuff he just looks stunned and like that's what he did that whole the whole season was just look stunned i really i enjoyed that show i should watch it again but yeah so like the exorcist itself the actual movie i'm trying to think the first time i saw it was i was way too young and it scared the shit out of me this is why <laughs> we're doing this movie this is the one movie out of all horror movies horror movies don't usually have much of an effect on me this movie fucking terrifies the shit out of me and had for like my whole life up until i started like realizing that eventually we would do this episode and i was going to take a bunch of shit for being afraid of this movie so i started to like kind of do what christy we always told christy to do which was go and just watch it until you're immune to it that's what i've done with this movie <laughs> <laughs> but yeah for the longest time this is like the scariest fucking thing i'd ever seen i probably saw it way too young mom and dad had this kind of stuff in the house they had a movie collection that was ungodly for years like just vhs for miles yeah like it would be one of those movies that they would watch like around halloween and it terrified the shit out of me i think i remember sitting down and watching it with some friends and just being like yeah nope nope <laughs> no. all the nope yeah, all the nope. This movie freaks me out. But it's so good, too, right? Like, it's one of those movies that's like, if it was just scary and kind of shitty, I'd have been, like, totally forgotten about it. But at the same time, I'm like, I really, the story's really good, and the acting's really good, and it's a well-made movie, so I'm curious about it. Plus, you hear all the horror stories about, like, making it, and, like, all the behind-the-scenes stuff, and all that kind of stuff that happened while it was going on. It just becomes this fascinating pop culture story, like, the making of this weird horror movie, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, this is the movie that, like, scared the shit out of me, to the point, and I'll just, this is anecdotal, but it's funny. I was I was reading the book when the movie got re-released in 2000, which is the version we watched this time. So what it got had been re-edited and like cleaned up mm-hmm. with a bunch of like the fast cut stuff put out. I went and saw it with my girlfriend at the time. I was hiding on her the whole fucking time because the movie 
scares the shit out of me. <laughs> and then I was reading the book too. I'd never read the book. So, and the book's fucking horrific. Like, I, have you ever read the book? Mm-mm. No. Yeah. The book's like, for some reason, just affected me even more because it's my imagination goes crazy when I read the stuff. So I had been reading it and I had a class early the next day. So I was driving out to campus and what I would do is get to campus a little early, depending on traffic and like just kind of park in my car and wait right till class started and start reading again. I started reading and fell asleep (laughs) with the exorcist in my hand. And one of the girls in my class like knocked on my window to wake me up. And I almost went through the fucking roof. Like I just, (laughs) just lost my fucking mind. She got to make fun of me for the whole day. I felt really just stupid, but yeah. So she walked into the class and was like, you should have seen what this big idiot did. Cause I woke him up in his car and he screamed like a terrified girl. And I was like, I absolutely did. Like I was a six year old girl right there and screamed. Cause I, this fucking thing just freaks me out. So I think it's raised Catholic, right? We were, I went to a Catholic school. All this demonic possession shit was stuff we heard growing up all the time. Plus, when you watch this movie, you're like, it makes no sense. It just happens to her randomly, apparently. So you're like, what's the, like, uh, you until, never find out. If you don't watch the why. sequels, it fucking happens yeah. to her randomly. Which, don't, yeah. don't watch the sequels, we'll say yeah, again not. and again and again. Yeah, do not watch this. Especially, the, like, specifically the second one yeah. is just one of the most horrifically bad movies that I've ever seen. Like, Batman and Robin levels of bad. Like, yeah. just so bad yeah so that's kind of the exorcist for me it's just like the mo- the one movie the one like franchise or not even franchise i guess but it's like that movie and the book are like unholy to me like holy shit they scare me like, yeah. it's the only thing where i'm like this is the thing i can't have it in my room with me i don't want to see it if i see the face of the little girl it freaks me the fuck out the guys know because they've been posting shit on my walls <laughs> for my birthday for like three years now and it's always fucking reagan christy reagan loved it cake reagan cakes and stuff Cake reagan yeah, yeah we had all kinds of fun the one year <laughs> When they first found out about my little like Reagan phobia, I guess <laughs> they should have come up with a name for that. Actually, like, what's your what's the fear of Reagan? <laughs> but yeah, it's that it, it, that's this for me. It just irrationally terrifies me. So now we can get into it. So we'll just try to do what we normally do, which is keep it short. And what did you like? Like, what what's what's your take on The Exorcist? Is why you would call it a classic? Why are you yeah, go back to it? I mean, the main thing is is that it's. Uh, it's a great it's a great horror movie but it's just a good fucking movie like it's produced yeah. really well it's shot really well which helps to sell the less believable elements of it which i think is yeah. the big difference between this and the and the sequels and stuff like that there are bits and pieces of it that haven't aged very well but all of the iconic bits really have have stood the test of time pretty well so that really helps me to sort of just be able to get invested in it as well but the main thing is is just like especially for 1973 this movie is creepy as fuck yeah like you said like it does a great job of playing with all that like biblical doom and gloom imagery and stuff like that it's the first time as far as i'm aware that they really depicted a possession in a relatively realistic way at least at least to start out you know where like this would happen in real life like people would fucking like just start speaking in tongues and like go crazy and shit like that. And in real life, it always ends up having like some psychological uh, or psychiatric uh, basis to it. But this is what would happen if that was, you know, real kind of thing, if it was an actual possession. Yeah. So, yeah. And this is like, this is the tropes. It is funny because if you look at it, it, it took 10 years for this to become like the most horrific thing ever. And then for it to become something that Bill Murray makes jokes about. Yeah. Basically. Cause like by, 11 years later, Ghostbusters comes out and this whole riff is just a joke for Bill Murray to make sex jokes. And I was like, (laughs) 
That's because he's Bill Murray, obviously, and he can do that. (laughs) There is that. Absolutely. So like, I, yeah, I'm the same way. Like, I think this movie actually holds up pretty well because it's like just a well-made film overall, particularly performances. Like all the performances are rock solid in this. Yeah. So like you've got Jason Miller, who's like, he was a playwright when they started. Like, I know so much about this movie. I've read everything. So (laughs) bear with me. Jason Miller was a playwright before he came in and acted as Father Karras in this movie. And I I think he does. He's basically the lead and he's super strong throughout. Alan Burstyn carries the whole fucking thing. Like her slow decay of watching her daughter. Because that's the best part about this movie. There's multiple levels to the horror of it where you're getting, there's just the horror of the situation period where this demonic entity is attacking, but you also get to deal with like the mother watching her daughter become somebody else or something else completely and having no fucking say or control over yeah. it whatsoever. And Father Karras dealing with the death of his mother and then Pazuzu yeah. using her against him and everything as well. And Yeah. Although the one thing I wish they would do is I wish they'd change the name of the demon because when they say it out loud, it sounds fucking ridiculous. <laughs> and they don't do that. And that's the one thing they do. I will give them credit for, especially in this movie. They never say the name of the demon. Yeah. Because it sounds ridiculous. Whereas they say it 40 yeah. times in the second one. Which I kept like, waiting for in, in the first one. And and because yeah. I know, I, you know, I know that name very well. But it's if yeah. you've only ever watched the first one or if you've like read the book, that's the only reason that you would know the demon's name. I'm trying to remember if the demon's name is even mentioned in the original book. I have I didn't read it this year. I read it this time last year mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like I did an audible read through of it. Kept me up that night at least. So there's that. So the book still gets me eventually. Yeah. But. I don't think they mentioned the demon's name until like the sequels, like the books and the the movie. Like I think it's just yeah. like a uh, Legion is the second book. Uh yes, Legion is the second book. But, yeah. Which is what the third movie's based on, I believe. Is based on that yeah. book. So And I think it's a really believable transition from like the okay, this could just be like a teenager kind of acting out or yeah. whatever because their mom's not been around. She comes from like a you know, a, a split up family and stuff like that to like the truly supernatural events like fucking beds like rising up off the ground and like the spider walk and all that kind of stuff so which is like i wanted to talk about that one specifically i have a question about that and the effects around that kind of stuff like Mm. the spider walk because that one that one to me does not hold up it doesn't hold up for me that one does not (laughs) i I think they should have left that one on the cutting room floor because that's an ad in the 2000 version of the movie Uh, i wasn't in the theatrical cut well, it was one of those things that was was a fight, is my understanding, is that Friedkin really wanted to include it yeah. and thought it was like one of the most effective sequences. And then he finally got a chance to include it. But it was like 27 years later. Yeah. And it didn't really stand the test of time. And they also weren't quite at the point where they could just CGI it completely, which is what they would do yeah. now. Right? Like if you're going to redo that shot now, you would just like completely rebuild a rig and like shoot her. Yeah. Instantly. And it's really obviously just a sped up shot yeah. of, you know, uh, of like a gymnast doing like a crab walk kind of thing yeah. on her back or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, it just, yeah, does not really, that does, that is one of the things, which is unfortunate because it is like one of the things that I don't know if it's, it's kind of one of the iconic bits, like at least in that it has that sort of mythology to it in yeah. terms of it not being included in the original and that sort of thing. But yeah, it, that could have been left out. Yeah, it's weird too because the scene in the book when they when she does the spider walk in the book, it's more prolonged, and she's just crawling around licking at people's ankles while she's like that, and it goes on mm. for a couple pages, and it's fucking really creepy. But obviously, they couldn't get the effects to do that. But it was just I remember reading it and being like, having to go back and read how she was like because he describes very accurately like how she's arced backwards, like doing the spider walk thing, and then like describing how her now oddly long tongue is like licking at everybody's legs and she's hissing and shit and i was like yeah that's terrifying that's yeah. creepy as fuck 
So yeah, yeah. What else did we? Oh, we didn't. You know, we, we I know we brought up Max von Sydow. I want to bring up the <laughs> makeup effect on Max von Sydow because it's one of those things where like it's. Crazy it probably me. looked great in 1973. You know what? When I was a kid, I was baffled by how Max von Sydow was still alive. Because I yeah. thought in 19, <laughs> when I saw this movie on VHS and everything's blurry, I was like, man, that makeup effect. I didn't even think it was a makeup effect. I thought he was just legit that old. Right? Just, he was, yeah. He was like early 50s when they made this. Yeah. And they make him look like late 70s or something like that. Yeah. I was. I think it's funny because, like, what he looks like in my head, like the version that I picked up, like from VHS rot or whatever you want to call it at this point. When I saw him in Force Awakens, I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. They've aged him right into what he actually <laughs> aged into. That's crazy. Except, with, except his hair wasn't powdered in Force yeah. Awakens quite that much. No. Well, then you go back and watch this in high def, right? And you're like, "Oh, yeah, oh I yeah. see the seams." Oh okay. god. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I. It's just not not as good as my brain made it out to be. It's still, but for 1973. Yeah, yeah. And considering how accurate good. it was to what he ended up actually looking like, I was like, holy shit, they did a really good fucking job on that. Just maybe yeah. don't close up on it so much because didn't, you know, hold together. <laughs> it doesn't hold up. Yeah. But he's so it good. It doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's so pensive and like he, you can feel all that weight on him the whole time. X Fonzie, that was fucking yeah. great in this too for like all six lines he has. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I'd kind of forgotten because it's probably been 10 plus years since I've watched this damn movie was since we're talking about Max von Sydow is like that opening sequence, like how f- that sort of Indiana Jones ish yeah. sequence of it, like the Raiders of the Lost Ark, like they just found something and he's running across the dig site and everything to see it and ends up being the little uh, Pazuzu token or whatever. Yeah. And then he has the little confrontation with the statue that just appears oddly enough. Yeah. It's very strange, like kind of cutting. <laughs> yeah. Scene. But so again, but like well shot yeah. so fucking well, like that it just, it, yeah, just, it just takes your breath away. Like, wow, that just looks pretty. And that helps to sell it and helps that sort of atmospheric horror to, to really sink in. Plus like really using Iraq, you know what I mean? Like actually shooting oh, yeah. in that location. Like you can see they're all extras who are real Iraqis and stuff like that. It's not like the Hollywood version. Like if they remade this, they'd shoot it on a studio like in downtown LA and just cast a bunch of like Mexicans or something like that, probably. Whereas yeah. this movie, they're like they're in Iraq with an Iraqi film crew shooting it, and it's like that looks fucking legit, like like a part of Iraq. You know what I mean? Like they're out in the desert and there's mm-hmm. like Mesopotamian ruins and stuff like that everywhere. It's, it's, it's cool to see. I like seeing that kind of on location shooting. They don't do that kind of stuff anymore as much. Whereas like in the seventies, they were just like, yeah, we can, we'll totally just take a crew for two weeks and fucking go shooting the desert in Iraq to make yeah. Tatooine or, you know, the desert in Iraq, I guess. Yeah. Which is one of the things that made force awakens like good because, yeah, you know, because a- JJ was like, yeah, we're going out in the fucking like Tunisia or wherever the hell they went yeah. to film all that desert shit. It on, was Tunisia. Cause that's where they shot the original stuff too. They yeah. shot the tattooing stuff in Tunisia as well. I think everybody, yeah. no, that was Raiders. I was going to say everybody was shitting themselves to death, but that was Raiders. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, and like we talked a little bit about the scares, but for me, and that maybe this is just me personally, a lot of the medical stuff and like body horror kind of stuff yeah. fucked with me more than like, or just as much, if not more than the possession. Yeah. Like, like that fucking needle in Regan's neck that starts spurting out blood. Yeah. And then that crazy, huge, like brain scan, like looks like some I fucking cat scan tortured. Yeah. yeah. Like a fucking primitive ass cat scan, like yeah. making crazy noises as it spins around her head and everything like that's almost as as scary to me as like reagan like rising up the bed rising off the bed and like stabbing herself in the crotch with a crucifix and shit like that <laughs> uh yeah no i that's one of those things that everybody kind of gets like i remember 
going to see it in like people getting more freaked out by the medical stuff. You know what I mean? People talking about yeah. the medical shit more than like the demon stuff. And I was like, no man, the demon shit's scarier. The medical stuff's like real life like that. I've, I, cause I've been in those tubes to get my back looked at and stuff. And then mm. thankfully modern medicine is, is not as <laughs> yeah. horrific and invasive as what it looked like, <laughs> man. Th- that's just the funny part is you're looking at it and you're like, man, seventies, like, fucking dark times yeah, i was gonna say it's like it's like the joke in star trek 4 where bones is like what is this the fucking dark ages or something like that yeah. like they're gonna cut cut the kidney out of you and replace it holy shit what's going on <laughs> that's what it kind of felt like as a 2019 viewer going in and like watching the medical procedures from the 70s like and you got to remember this is this movie came out eight years before we were born so this is a this movie's ancient to us too right like oh yeah it's, yeah it's one of those movies we kind of grew up hearing about more than anything else so yeah absolutely it was already it was already part of the zeitgeist by the time we got around to seeing it and yeah. experiencing it for ourselves and everything yeah. and you know it was it was one of those things that would be lampooned on tv shows and well there was that leslie nielsen movie with linda blair in it like in 1980 or something like that. Like you can go watch it. Still. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Disaster, yeah. whatever it was called. I can't remember what it's called yeah. now, but that's fucking hilarious too. Cause she's basically in the makeup doing like vamping it up with Leslie Nielsen. And it's like, wow, we're just taking the total piss out of what we did yeah. uh, in the original movie. I guess by that point she'd already made two. So she'd already made the whole franchise a joke. So what do you know? was the wait when did the no the second one was until 90 i think the second one no no no, oh, no, no the, like, sorry second one was 77 it was the third yeah. one uh that was 90 yeah it was like in yeah. the late 80s early 90s yeah yeah so. um but yeah i mean like fucking all that sh- all that shit in the bedroom is what sells the fucking movie overall yeah. like or even like just reagan randomly cursing at people out of nowhere kind of thing like reagan like linda blair puts in an amazing performance and then her joint performance with the woman that does uh the pazuzu voice is like just mercedes mccambridge is her name yeah like fucking screaming like lick me lick me at her mother like that's the shit that fucking like disturbs me and gets under your skin and also yeah. the shit that fucking like was making people like puke in the theater and stuff when yeah. this movie came out originally like imagine that in in fucking 1973 i know that's people would have thing. been losing their goddamn minds that's what i, I you always got to remind yourself that when you're watching this movie like contemporarily i guess is like yeah this is came out in like 1973 like star wars wasn't even out yet you know what i mean like we didn't have any real reference for like this kind of special effect happening all the time like it was wasn't yeah. that prevalent so seeing this kind of stuff especially in a mainstream movie that was this big and all of a sudden turns into this like horror show right like it's a truly terrifying movie when you get down to it like it's just well made to the point where like you're so tense for that first hour and then when she starts demoning out you're just like fuck this like i'm fucking out what the fuck yeah and that's my my big thing like the the big thing that holds up for me is the makeup effect on her up to a certain point in the movie she looks fucking horrifying and that's why it works for me she looks like a like a literally like a rotting corpse and not like zombie makeup, but yeah. like she is like alive and rotting. Yeah, from the inside out. And it's fucking yeah. gross to watch. And it's like she the acting performance is great and like the combination of like her acting and like Mercedes McCrambridge's voice and you can go on YouTube and watch her actually say all this dialogue too, right? Like you they shot it with her saying the dialogue. So like yeah. your mother sucks cocks in hell, something Linda Blair said on set at eleven years old <laughs> yeah. or however old she was. I'm like, great. That's probably that probably, probably didn't, didn't fuck her up I at didn't all. Fuck her up at all. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> at all. Yeah. I'm sure all the drugs she did in the '80s were not as a result of something happened on this set. It yeah. fucked her up probably, <laughs> and it might have been that. Anyway, but yeah, it's the makeup effects that always catch me. Like on her specifically, I'm like, man, they do a great job, just like making her look creepy as fuck. And it's like almost un- uncanny valley 
where you're like, uh, it looks real, but it's, I know it's fake, but it's still yeah. creepy and I don't like looking at it. And there's different like versions of it. Once you get to the end and she's super like demoned up, I'm like, it's not as bad, but like the, the middle part of the movie as she's like starting to get scarred and like dehydrating and all that and cuts, the cuts on her face and the cuts like on her face. And, yeah. Like yeah. that stuff really, or like when she's got like the fangy teeth or like when she spins her head around and like, I know that's a model, yeah. but it's still based that's, on her and stuff. Yeah. That shit. <sighs> yeah. So I, I don't know if I told this story on the podcast, but it's tangentially related. I was in college and they had those poster sales, right? And I remember specifically walking around a corner and they had a poster of the dummy. It was just the dummy standing there <laughs> smiling and staring right at you. I had never ran out of a building so fast <laughs> in my fucking life. And I don't know if anybody <laughs> saw me or what was going on. I was in college. So this was well in like a Niagara campus. I fucking bolted out of there. I was at my car before I even realized exactly what was going on. I was just so scared. I just, <laughs> just fucking on instinct. Yeah, just on instinct. I was just like, Zuzu's That's here for me. Yeah. <laughs> that little girl, like it was life size because it was like a poster size thing. And it was like at eye yeah. level. So I was like, oh shit. And my brain just went into like fight or flight and I fucking <laughs> took off. That's how scary I find like the dummy and the makeup effect of that in like the interim period of the yeah. movie. Like that shit just terrifies me. So no, makeup makeup is phenomenal. The other and the other thing that really sells those scenes for me as well is the atmospheric stuff that they do. One where they make it really obvious that like there's a distinct like rotting smell in the yeah. room whenever Reagan's whenever Pazuzu like comes to the surface. Yeah, everybody like starts covering their nose and shit. Is that yeah. there's that good scene where she like grabs the guy's balls and like as he flips, you can see everybody behind them, like especially Ellen Burstyn, who's just fucking crushing it the whole time, right? Yeah. Just puts her fucking hand to her mouth like she doesn't want to inhale whatever just popped into the room when yeah, Pazuzu exactly. shows up. Yeah, and then the other one is the the drop in temperature when Pazuzu's around as well, which I guess they must, like the steaming breaths and everything, which I guess, I, I assume they must have filmed yeah. it in a freezer. They built the set in a freezer, yeah, so yeah. That they could control the temperature and get the freezing breath effect. Yeah, yeah. they totally did. And it's so fucking effective, and yeah. I know it must have been a bitch to film, well, but I guess, it like, really she does, had, like... like hypothermia during bits and pieces because she was in that oh, night you know yeah I mean? like just sitting there for so long yeah we're just sitting there doing takes and stuff so, so it's just and like that's one of those things that. that you probably can't get away with doing today but like and you probably shouldn't have done it then necessarily if that happened but yeah it's still like it works so fucking well on screen yeah oh yeah yeah i know it's the breath thing really like that whole room at that point is so like claustrophobic like yeah. even if it is a set and you can kind of feel that it's a set, you're so just like everything's so tight on everybody at that point. Like they're not pulling mm-hmm. out and showing you long shots. It's like the two guys, the demon, the two guys, the demon, one guy, demon, like that kind of. Yeah. And you're getting real like harsh angles and stuff like that yeah. because of it as well on the shots. So you're, you're getting like up in somebody's face or like down from the top or like yeah, from the foot of the bed or something like that. And Interesting camera choice. Like we said, well shot, like well thought out movie. They obviously oh, yeah. storyboarded the shit and planned it so that like you weren't getting bored of any of the shots too. Cause that could get real static if you were just going back yeah. and forth but he chooses all these crazy angles and then dutch tilts them in some spots too so you always feel at ease and that's something that kilter. happens throughout the movie the actual camera starts to tilt if you mm-hmm. start looking at it if you're looking at the frame the camera's tilted a little bit not a lot but just enough to make you feel like oh i feel gross why do i feel yeah, to put you a little off kilter because and... it's not nothing straight like you're getting no 90 degrees to the yeah. screen frame it makes you feel off kilter it's an old illustrator like an old painting trick but yeah yeah it's super effective in here so yeah and there's i mean while we're talking about you know shots and cinematography there's just there's multiple like truly iconic like cinema history kind of shots in this like yeah 
the fog shot with Sidow yeah, walking in. Holy yeah, shit. exactly. With Max von Sidow in that lamplight, that lamppost. Like, that's a fucking iconic. Ad- like, that's the cover for the fucking movie. And, yeah, it's the you know, poster one shot. Of the, one of the posters. And, like, the shots of the staircase and shit like that as well are just, like, super iconic shots that, you know, people... Th- those are the sorts of things that are probably still taught in film school, right? They're like, here's yep. how you fucking frame a shot. Like, yep. here's how you compose a shot to have maximum effect. They use this movie when they teach cinematography early on like just good examples of like how to tilt pictures to make it a little bit off kilter and then just Mm. like how to frame stuff so that it's like perfectly framed and shit and yeah freaking is just like a fucking genius director knew how to point a camera like a just knew how to do it you know what i mean so yeah we did the french connection right before this and that was like I told that was what, show. what got him in this. Yeah, basically. Super talented director. Wish he'd done more. Like, it always feels like he didn't do as much, but very yeah. Otori kind of guy. So, you know, yeah. I guess he's difficult to work with also from the stories you hear about just making this movie. Fired off a gun on set, slapped the dude. Jesus. Uh, what else did he do? Both Linda Blair and Ellen Burstyn suffered permanent injuries as a result of like special effects work on this set. So, like, <laughs> Ellen Burstyn, I think, broke her coccyx and like fucked up a bunch of discs in her back on the. The pullback, when Reagan slaps her and she gets pulled back on a wire, mm. they really hauled off on her and fucked up her back permanently, I think. There's a story about that. And I think Linda Blair, like one of the scenes where she was getting whipped, like one of the early possession scenes, like where she's yeah, getting yeah. flipped around and stuff, they fucked up her back doing that. The girl's 11 years old and they fucking permanently ruined her back. Like, Jesus. Nice, nice work there, dude. Yeah. It comes out in the movie, like, you know, so it's kind of like, yeah, you probably shouldn't do it that way, but we got this movie out of it, so... Yeah, I'm just gonna kind of shrug. Not and all like, bad. Yeah. yeah, not all bad, I guess. But like, man, if I was Linda Blair, I'd be like, "Go fuck yourself." Not yeah. all bad, kind of thing. So there is that. And while we're talking about sort of more productiony kind of stuff, it's a f- the f- it's a fucking masterpiece of sound design as well. Oh, yeah. uh, especially the re- the recut, like the the way they redid it for surround and stuff. It's got a yeah. beautiful surround track that they obviously didn't have in 1973. But it's so creepy and like there's yeah. lots of nice subsonics in it too. Like you get lots lots of gross rumbling happening that feels yeah. really off-putting and stuff it's great yeah great great lows and just overall like the the sound adds so much to the atmosphere and to the tension of the movie and and then like right up to the like more top level sound designy stuff like the Score the modification shit. well the the modifications that they do on her voice yeah on the pazuzu voice are really fucking effective yeah like that the movie doesn't work without that like there's so many things in this there's so many linchpins here yeah. That if you pull one of them out, the whole fucking movie doesn't work. Yeah, they just miraculously got it to hold together somehow. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, and and sound is one, and cinematography is one, and performances is one, and yeah, the and it's just all like just and the effects. All. Yeah, yeah, the effects. So, like, there's there's a couple places where shit like starts to sort of fall apart a bit but it comes back so quickly that you don't really get lost lost out of it and it's stuff that in 73 people probably wouldn't have cared about because you know they wouldn't have been watching in high def or whatever kind of thing well what are you talking like what are you talking about specifically do you have examples i mean there's the spider walk is one but that wasn't in the original theatrical there are some story points that aren't written or edited really well like there's some stuff that they show off camera just probably for budget reasons and it's not really effective like it it makes it less effective like one minute we see uh what's his name the younger priest oh karis karis yeah one minute we see karis like visiting his mother in the asylum and then just out of nowhere she's dead yeah yeah and she she died at home and we never really find out how she got back home yeah 
So that's like just sloppy. Maybe it's sloppy editing. Maybe it's budget restrictions or something. I don't like even that. know if they actually tackle that in the book or not. I'm trying to remember. I'd have to reread the book, which like I want to sleep this week, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and then like the whole like Burke visiting Reagan, and then they like that is all glossed over. We're all told that, not shown yeah. any of that. Like that he went and visited her. That he was, you know, that she threw him out the window. All of that is stuff that we learn sort of in retrospect. And I feel like. I don't need to see every bit of that, but seeing one part of it would have helped me to to sell that part of the story for me a little bit more. Yeah, and I, I'm trying to remember again. It's one of those things like, was it in the book or not? Because I, I think they they use that to play up the miss. Like they wanted to have like a who done it kind of thing about it. Yeah. Like, did Reagan do it or not? I think it would have been just as effective to have Burke show up, go up to the room out of curiosity. And then, like, you cut to the accident having happened, and then you don't yeah, have to cut to his anybody. body at the bottom of the stairs, rather. Yeah, than, and, like, yeah. you don't need to tell me exactly what happened in the room, like, how his interaction with Pazuzu or Reagan or whatever went. Yeah. But, like, just show that happening, because all of a sudden, there's a whole sequence right there that's kind of confusing to me. Yeah. That I was like, she goes home, drives past this crowd of people that should be right next to her house, right? Because like, the stairs are apparently right next to her house. Although when you look at the last shot, they're like fucking three miles apart. So I don't know how any of this works, <laughs> yeah. but you know, movie magic, right? Yeah. Editing. And then she just goes in the house and acts like nothing is happening outside. In spite of the fact that there's a crowd and cops and like a dead dude, like right outside her front door and then goes inside and like finds out that he's dead. Cause somebody knocks on the door. I was like, wouldn't you, she have walked fucking by that. Yeah. What's going on here is a weird edit there. It doesn't super track, but that's the spider walk scene. So I'm not sure if that was yeah. re-edited or not. After the fact, like I have to go back and watch the theatrical the cut original. to see if there is yeah. a change. Yeah, because that scene leads direct. I forgot that scene led directly into the spider walk. So I was walking, watching that scene, and then like the creepy music came on, and I was like, "Oh crap! I'm gonna stare directly into her face when this happens." I'm not <laughs> sleeping tonight, and I did. Like I watched the whole thing, but I was like, "Huh, that's yeah. a weird cut." And I, I don't. It makes you forget about it, right? Like you're so shocked by the spider walk that you're like, "Wait, shouldn't she have known about?" Okay, I guess we're just glossing over that and moving right into like crazy exorcism point so yeah. here we go the other thing that doesn't age for me as well and this is kind of a pet peeve of mine that i've know i've discussed on the podcast before is that it does rely on cheap jump scares a couple times yeah uh and but at the time like 73 that was you know wouldn't have been as played out as it is today like anymore it's just like a fucking trope and when when you do it people are just like yeah that's fucking cheap like actually scare me don't just like startle me well there's no stuff at the beginning where like the the flame and like the the cross cutty with the the demon face and stuff where i'm like this yeah. is just like it's not it's just jump scare stuff which i guess i mean it's again this is one of those things like this is made in 73 so it's probably super effective to an audience then yeah whereas we're like 2019 have seen everything super jaded it's almost exactly the same conversation paul and i were having about scream last week where we're just like yeah we're 20 plus years and now in this movie 40 plus years removed from it yeah the tropes like that we've grown up on and are used to and are just part of our day-to-day media consumption they didn't exist then right yeah so we're this seeing them is, this kind is of be them born. being established yeah and a lot of this is like especially in this movie a lot of them is yeah them establishing it in this movie because yeah. like all this this movie when you start looking at possession movies this is the fucking blueprint right like yeah it's the godfather yeah even like ghostbusters like when they do the possession bit it's so like directly rift on this that you're just yeah. like oh yeah they're just doing the exorcist bit again because she starts floating and you're like oh yeah, yeah. above the bed yeah yeah 
Yeah, Four feet above the covers. Yeah. <laughs> And then the other thing that doesn't kind of hold up for me, the quick cuts to the dude in the Pazuzu makeup that yeah. looks looks like one of the guys from Ghost, that like Swedish metal band. Yes, that's true. They do. Yeah. <laughs> good band, that's, though. Like, good yeah. band. I really like Ghost. They're quite good. But I don't it's, like uh, makeup stuff. Yeah, but uh, those cuts don't really hold up in like HD like 45 years later. Yeah, no. They also seem to feel like they linger on screen way longer. Like they're supposed to be fast cuts, and it's like, wow, I've been staring at this fucking demon face for like three seconds. Can yeah. we just get And this it's thing clearly like... just a dude in white makeup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. And there's a couple where like they superimpose it, like they do a quick cut, like the light comes on and the face is there and then it disappears, and I'm like And yeah. it's like a floating head of like a wolf like a half wolf man. <laughs> yeah. I'm not that scared by that. They could have done that better. They should have yeah. like faded it out or like obscured it or something so you're just kinda seeing a face, yeah. but you're not sure, like in the shadows or something. And yeah. then had to wash out. I don't know. I don't know what you'd do. What are you going to do? It was 1973. They had minimal effects to work with. They did have tubular bells. They did have tubular bells. <laughs> it's funny when they use that too, where it's just like her walking. I'm like, yeah. I'm not, wait, is this supposed to be scary? She's just like, she's very but again, it's, she's just strolling. <laughs> I don't know what's It's going one on. of those like iconic uh, yes. song, you know, like if you hear that, you think like horror movie, like that is you get like tense and you start thinking like, Oh God, something creepy is going to happen kind of thing. Anytime you hear that song now. And like, it's, it's one of those classic horror movie tunes and it's the song itself is suspenseful. It's got like that church belly kind of noise in it as well. I mean, that is the tubular bells. Yeah. Yeah. It works so perfectly with this movie. Yeah. The the choices for score in this movie are quite good. Like it's, they use score very subtly and not a lot. There's not a lot of score in this movie. And then when they do use stuff like tubular bells to add to it, it it's pretty effective overall. That fucking song is so goddamn like, it's such a, when you hear the whole thing, it's not great. It's just it goes on for thing. a long time. It goes on forever. Yeah. yeah. And I'm a tool fan and I'm still like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's electronic and you don't like electronic. I don't, I do not. Boy's got to be playing that stuff for me to pay attention. So there is that. <laughs> I'm trying to think of anything else that I like, really like about this movie before we move on to like, if we have that many gripes. I don't have a ton of gripes about this movie. This is one of those like classics. I mean, I've already kind of gone through my gripes. The other thing that really does work for me is the pacing. Yes. It gives you a chance. It's, it's a fantastic slow burn. Yeah. Like you said, it gives you that first hour where you're not totally sure what's going on, but you're really getting to know the characters. Yeah. You're getting to live with them, that kind of thing, what, which you don't often get to do in horror movies. Like horror movies these days, like there's a fucking like, you know, crazy graphic death in like the first before the fucking opening credits yeah. kind of thing. Um, whereas here, like we, we get to know those characters and you become a lot more emotionally invested in them before things start to go to shit you know while you're sort of more gradually introducing the threat and that you get more dread more, dread, yeah. more sympathy yeah with those characters and and the dread that they're feeling because you know them better yeah dread's a good word for it too because that's what the whole movie kind of builds itself on is just this like low undercurrent of like everything is creepy everything's off kilter i'm not sure what's happening things are getting weirder and weirder why am i stuck in this tube with this little girl holy shit, that little girl said something about a cunt. I don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden she's <laughs> like stabbing herself in the crotch. It's yeah. it's quite the intense like build that they have throughout the movie. And that was what I, I wrote that down. I was like, I'm sure modern audiences would hate this because it's so fucking slow paced and nothing really happens in the first hour. But it's just like, man, this is how you do it. You know what I mean? Like, I am so... Look at fucking Joker. Yeah. Nothing fucking happens the first hour of that movie and people fucking love it. Let's be honest. Nothing, nothing fucking happens that in that movie for like... Yeah. 
until the last seven, like 10 I was going to say 7 eighths of that fucking movie went by with nothing <laughs> happening so it's not like this like I mean once this movie gets going it's fucking like a mile up like scare a minute basically like you're yeah. kind of trapped in that space which is why I think actually them cutting the spider walk makes it effective because it means all the horror is locked in that room like yeah. as soon as you're like she escapes the room that just means she can escape the room but if she's trapped and like in the room all the horrors in there becomes a very claustrophobic feeling thing so i kind of agree with the excision of the spider walk because it it kind of keeps the the dread i guess we're going to keep going back to that word inside the room or inside the house but like inside the Mm. room specifically because they do that a lot where there's scenes of like they're shooting people outside having conversations and you're seeing the other characters in the background just hovering and kind of glancing offhandedly at the room like they're all kind of yeah at the window yeah, yeah. or like, like they're all kind of everything's kind of orbiting around or up the stairs or... what's happening upstairs kind of thing yeah and no matter where they are in the house you can feel them like they're almost like inclined towards it like listening to see what's going on if something's happening like on alert at all times and you can really see throughout the course of the movie like the cast that's in the house they really do a good job of if, if not making them up or just acting, because there are actors, I guess. They could just be acting. But they all look real like they've been up for fucking two weeks at the end. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? They look like this has been really yeah. grinding them all down. And I think that adds to like your sympathy for them and just like your fear of what's going on. Like, Are they going to lose this little girl? They've obviously been dealing with this for months at this point. Like, There's been a prolonged, protracted fight for her health, regardless of whether you believe in the demon side of it or not. Right? Like, There's just this mom yeah. who is watching her daughter decay and die and also not be recognizable anymore like that's not her daughter kind of thing so and that's the thing like that's i like blair's performance i don't think we can like undersell enough no like the fact that like she goes from being such a like lovable like pretty innocent you know young girl to fucking pazuzu like super possessed being like you know, saying all that crazy shit yeah is the fact that that she's able to pull off that uh, linda blair is able to pull off both ends of that performance at like whatever 12 years old or whatever she was and they fucking filmed this thing is astounding yeah yeah and you should really go check out the youtube stuff of her just doing the dialogue herself because it's still i feel like i've seen bits and pieces of it because i think it's special features on the dvd that i have and i've watched that before it might be uh it's creepy though because like she's it's kind Mm. of her voice but she is kind of treating it a little bit like she's doing something to it but it's yeah. it's still just creepy to hear some of that dialogue coming out of an 11 year old with an 11 yeah. year old's voice kind of thing so it's it's not as creepy as mercedes mccambridge's performance because she really dialed that in quite well but it is still just off-putting to hear basically a 12 year old girl say all this horrible shit or even just like the stuff where she's manipulating Karis like via his mother kind of thing and talking about his mom it's linda blair saying it so it's just like this is really this is fucking creepy too. Like it's off putting as well. So I don't yeah. hate that they switch the voice. It's just that either one has its own reason for being creepy as fuck. So what do you, yeah. do? cool. That's awesome. Uh, what else do we want to talk about, about the exorcist here? What else do I got? I got through all my notes. I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm a fucking all, movie. I don't know. It is really a good movie. Like there's not really much <laughs> else I can say about it. So we've talked about all the performances. We talked about the effects. So maybe just be a short episode this week. Kind of fun. Kind of nice. <laughs> good times. All right, that's all right. We did a long one last week, so Paul and I got going. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Also, we were at the end, and I was like, "Why did we go two hours on this? We should not have gone two hours on this." But anyway. <laughs> cool. So let's like let's wrap this up. We had a fun little like Halloween conversation. You should definitely, if you've not seen The Exorcist, first of all, what the fuck? Go fucking watch yeah. The Exorcist. First of all, turn off all the lights in your house and prepare to be scared. Just enjoy the fear. 
Get a good fucking sound system. Yeah, like, definitely sound, crank sound it up. An, an awesome, yeah, big fucking uh, part of this. Yeah, if this you have, if you have something with a subwoofer, crank that motherfucker up because it is going to yeah. rumble a lot and it's probably going to creep the shit out of you because it's constantly kind of rumbling when you're in the room. Like there's always some kind of weird low subsonic thing happening, and it's a really nice, cool, effective mix. Just like again, as a sound nerd, you know what I mean, like a, a production nerd. This movie is so fucking well made, and for 1973, just yeah, it's crazy how well made this movie is. And the translation to even like having to split the audio and do a 5.1 mix in 2000 or whenever they did it, they still did a fucking bang up job where I was like, man, this mix is really good. And they've added enough that it feels like it's worth having the surround mix, not just like we just did it because everybody wants a surround mix kind of thing when it was really probably it might have been stereo. I'm not even sure, but it's probably a mono picture. Yeah, seventy three. So it's hard to say. I'd have to go look and see what the original sourcing was on it, and that would take. I could just go on IMDb. Doesn't really matter. Either way, <laughs> final thoughts. We want to just wrap this up. Give her a little review. Yeah, I mean, looking at this particular cut of the movie, this like director's cut or whatever you want to call it, the two thousand cut, it's solid. There's a couple things that don't work. I mean, obviously, we've harped on that fucking spider walk uh, quite a bit. Yeah. So with that, I don't think I'd give it a like totally perfect score, but I'd like easily nine out of ten yeah. on this fucking movie. Um, it's a classic piece of cinema history and not just a classic horror movie. It's one of those like really rare cases where something crosses over from being just a straight horror movie to like having wide appeal and like just a massive effect on the zeitgeist. Like the only other movie that I could think that has really had that same impact would be like The Shining. Yeah. Is the yeah. only the only movie that really stands alone as a horror movie and as sort of a I'll say masterpiece of cinema as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree uh, completely. Like it's very rare to see like um, this was nom- I believe it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture, was it not? I don't know. Like it's it's that kind of movie where like it's so well made that it even got the Academy to notice. I'm just gonna quickly Wikipedia that because I'm probably talking out of my butthole. Critical response. He was nominated for 10 Academy Awards in 1974, winning two. It was the first horror film to be nominated for Best Picture. And it won Best Adapted Screenplay and uh, Best Sound Mixing, mixing. which we've been talking about. But it got like 10 nominations. It got yeah, Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Supporting for Ellen Burstyn, Best Supporting Actor for Jason Miller, Best uh, Supporting Actress for Linda Blair, Best Director... And it won a bunch of those Golden Globes. So it won the Golden Globe for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actress, and Best Screenplay. Yeah. So like it, it won a ton of awards and was nominated like crazy at the Academy Awards, which is, for a horror movie, completely fucking unheard of. Yeah. Like, when was the last time you heard of a horror movie getting nominated like that? Like, that's crazy. Yeah. That's like Lord of the Rings numbers of nominations. Yeah. Not wins. <laughs> But nomination, yeah, absolutely, so, yeah, it's craziness. So, uh, why don't we, why don't, why don't we talk about the sequel stuff a little bit? Because you've seen some of them, right? Like, have you seen? Uh, just quickly, we can kind of go through. Them. Yeah, I, as I am want to do when I watch one horror movie, I tend to just fucking dive the franchise, and I did that over the past week. And tell us how much you regret it. I regret it. <laughs> I do. I mean, I wasn't like paying yeah. strict attention to them because I was like watching them while I was working and stuff like that, but. Yeah, the second movie, not yeah, not heretic. Good. Yeah, the heretic really very much not good. Does some has some like actually universally bad, like universally a pan movie. Like it's one of those yeah. like it's so fucking. It's not even like it's so bad. It's good. It's just it's so bad. It's bad, and you should watch it if you're in the mood to watch something just fucking horrible. Yeah, like just really poorly done. Watch The Exorcist too, especially after you watch the first one, which is like just such a masterclass in filmmaking and storytelling and all this other shit. To watch the sequel just fail 
where the original is so good. Like it fails in all the same, like all the spots that we talked about the, the original movie working perfectly. The sequel fails. Fucks yeah. all those things. I, yeah, and I don't fails. know how it's they crazy. how they fucking misused Richard Burton to the degree that they did. Well, who is like <laughs> overacting and underacting so severely, it, yeah. scene per scene, that it's almost impossible to tell which version of Richard Burton you're going to get yeah. in the movie. Like he's fucking horrible <laughs> in that movie. It's really weird. Yeah, the third film in the series, The Exorcist, just called The Exorcist Three, yeah. from 1990 is better than the second but that's not saying a whole lot it's got a good like critical kind of thought about it now like people seem to like go back to it and be like oh this is the good exorcist sequel and i'm like is it though yeah that's i haven't watched it in like a praising by faint damnation yeah the dance robot dance way so there is that (laughs) i was gonna go watch it again this week just because i was kind of curious that like i keep seeing youtube videos pop up about it and i was like i should go watch that again because i haven't seen it i know like brad duris in it and stuff and he's supposed to be really good in it so yeah i'm curious to spend like the two hours or whatever because it's not like it's it chapter two where i gotta sit there for three hours it's just you know a two-hour movie that i can sit and watch yeah. kind of thing, and it's got so. george c scott in it and i mean it's got That's a true, decent yeah. cast but yeah it just never definitely didn't grab me as much as the first one did and it was it's a weird it's sort of it's almost a genre shift because it's like a true crimey kind of movie as well as being yeah. a horror movie and they don't merge those genres very well to my opinion no so uh it's one of those like it's almost like a proto silence of the lambs that kept the occult stuff in yeah it's weird like it it just tracks kind of weird yeah I'm curious to go back to it just because like it's been so long since I've seen it. Yeah, and then there were the but the two we'll there were the, there were the two Stellan Skarsgård vehicles that came out in like well those are technically the same movie five well yeah they're yeah not the same movie but like they were reshot versions of the same yeah. movie I remember when those came out I was working at the theater when those came out and like the first one came out and then like a year later they released the original cut because the original or the second version that came out was the original director okay and they. What what came out initially theatrically was a reshoot monster or something like that. Like they fired the director and then finished the movie, put it out, it bombed, and then they let the guy go back and kind of finish mm. what he had originally wanted to do, and then put that out. Also, so two thousand those movies are fucking yeah, bad. they're not great. Two thousand four is Exorcist: The Beginning. The director on it is listed as Rennie Harlan, and that yep. yeah, not not great at all. It's just it's just a fucking muddled mess and has it's pretty fucking racist too. Yeah. And yeah. And then um in two thousand five they put out Dominion prequel to The Exorcist, yeah. which is yeah. Which is supposed to be like the same movie, which is but it's Paul like Sh- different Paul director Schrader directed. Kinda, yeah. That's a weird one. What else is there to Oh, it's just then there's the T V series and that's about yeah, it. Yeah, T V series which we kinda talked about at the top. Yeah, T V series, which was solid, probably the best post original movie content in this little world, I think. Uh, yeah, especially that first season was really cool and the I definitely had not sort of caught on, I don't think, when they announced to you spoilers that anybody hasn't seen it, when that the uh, Gina Davis character is is actually Reagan grown yeah. up and so it's uh, a cool take on that world and you know seeing the grown-up reagan and how the events of the original movie have shaped her entire life and all that kind of stuff yeah i enjoyed the uh, series it was one of those shows that like as soon as it came on in spite of my terror when it comes to this fucking franchise i was like i'm totally watching this show and i enjoyed it quite a bit it kind of gave me like a it was kind of like what i thought constantine should be as a tv show almost kind of mm. thing so, like, just that tone. I was like, that would be the tone I would yeah, do for a little, for, little uh, darker, a little more kinda. like creepy. Yeah, like, uh, like, like real yeah, horror, real horror, horror cult kind of like thing. Comic book yeah. horror. Yeah, or like, like, I always feel like the shows now are it's like, well, because they're CW, Supernatural, is such an obvious yeah. 
equation to make, but they that stuff feels like supernatural versions of occult stuff to me, which is fine and I enjoy that. But for like that character to be taken seriously, I would prefer to be in this kind of like very serious exorcisty kind of style, mm. which I think is what like I think that's kind of what the Vertigo books were back then too. Like that's what they kind of felt like yeah. to me. Whereas Darker. like what they do now on the mainstream side, I'm like, yeah, the mainstream stuff where Constantine is just part of the DCU. I'm like, Meh, all right, I guess. But like he was a real prick back in the day and like the demons were fucking nasty pricks and shit so i don't know i love that i enjoyed that show quite a bit i was very sad when it got kind of unceremoniously dumped after the second year i thought it was better than it deserved to be like had better than it had any right to be given like what the sequel material from this franchise has been historically so i was quite happy part of it is just i think it kind of lost its way after the first season like they they had a really cool story for the first season and then the second season was more like uh okay now what yeah what the fuck do we do now and then they put something together and it was something and it was i like i watched it and i it was was fine fine, but it wasn't that first season and then you know people just dropped off and they were like yeah we can't keep doing this yeah oh whatever i had a good time with the first season and i enjoyed the second season enough that i was like i would have watched a third season if they'd made it but i'm not crying over a lost show like that i guess so it's not daredevil you know what i mean i'm not like losing my fucking mind still over it yeah so that's that i don't even know if i gave a rating this is like a nine out of ten like ten out of ten kind of movie for me it's just one of those classics that i just go back to every basically every year it's one of those halloween ones where i'm just like i'm gonna scare the shit out of myself and watch the exorcist (laughs) alone because i need to continue to beat that fear out of myself so i just keep doing it but yeah again it's like I love this movie. Um, it's so well made, and it's why I'm obsessed with it. Like, it scares the shit out of me. I should just be able to just turn it off and walk away from it. But it's so well made, and the story fascinates me so much, just because I'm fascinated by the occult and like all this demon possession shit. And I was raised Catholic, so I have all that horrible fucking mythology bombing around in my head. So this just like, yeah, this is my worst nightmare slash favorite story, I guess, kind of thing. So yeah, nine out of ten. I love the Exorcist. Go watch it if you haven't seen it before, yep. and if you have, go watch it again because it's still holds up like crazy indeed all right geek cred i guess we should do christy segments since we have been talking about christy <laughs> an awful lot yeah so and you know what we should have done it probably right at the top has been like uh for new listeners who are like paul era listeners christy is our former co-host so if you were real confused earlier and wondering like who the fuck we're talking about christy was our co-host from episode one to uh, episode 130 ish basically yeah something so, like that she was around for a long time and she'll be back, I'm sure. You'll hear her voice at some yeah, point. She's been back once or twice since yeah. then, and we'll have her back again at some point. I mean, she had a wedding to plan, so that it kind was, of took yeah. her away for a while. Yeah, I'm sure once uh, things settle back down, we'll probably get her in here to do... She was complaining about wanting to do like the Witcher review or something like that, and I would gladly have her on here to complain about that for an hour, I think, because it would be super entertaining. <laughs> so we'll totally do that. <laughs> but uh, what's your geek cred? Uh, my geek cred for this week. So, you know, we had feelings about the Joker movie, yeah. uh, but very shortly after that, DC put out a really great Joker one shot that was kind of loosely tied into their whole uh, year of the villain kind of crossover right now, but it really does stand on its own. You don't need to read that by any, uh, any of the other year of the villain stuff. Um, but it's actually written by horror icon, John Carpenter. Yeah, this is a good book too. You should go read this. This is fucking this yeah. is what Joker should have been actually. Exactly. That's exactly. Exactly my feelings on it. So yeah, written by John Carpenter, like I said, kind of a one-off story. And it basically is a sort of the general storyline of it without spoiling too much is that the Joker escapes Ark Asylum and has sort of sidekicky kind of character that is a guy that has a legit mental illness and knows that he has a mental illness and 
knows how to deal with his mental illness, you know, has been given the tools by proper fucking like therapists and stuff like that to identify when his mental illness is affecting him and kind of, you know, how to deal with it and when he should like question his perception of reality. And so it gives an amazing fucking juxtaposition of the Joker who is just straight fucking evil, not crazy to this guy that actually is quote unquote crazy actually does have like a legit mental illness and how those two differ from each other. And it is a stark fucking contrast. And he literally says at one point, like, no, this guy is not crazy. He's just evil. I'm crazy. And I know that I'm crazy and I know how to handle it. And it actually has sort of like a heartwarming ending of like him sort of spoiler alert, getting like reunited with his estranged mother who, you know, obviously had a hard time raising this kid that had like a severe mental illness and everything. So really great treatment of mental illness, much fucking better than the Joker movie. So my recommendation is don't see fucking Joker and read this fucking Joker special by John Carpenter. Agreed. And drawn, drawn Philip Tan very well. Yeah. Also, I just, well, I was going to say, I like Philip Tan drew that who is, he's fucking, he's next level. He's one of those a plus guys. Yeah. So get in there and read that. But yeah. I agree with that. I, I read that this week as I was wrapping up house of X, I also read uh, Batman's grave. So the first issue of the Warren Ellis, Brian Hitch thing, I agree with you on the pencils, which is ramping up. Yeah. Which looks like it's going to be great. Honestly. Yeah. Warren Ellis never lets me down. I'm very curious to see how he keeps going with the Batman story. But mm-hmm. yeah, that Joker story was really good. And I was remember reading it and being like, oh man, they should have just done this. Why didn't they just get yeah. John Carpenter to make that fucking movie? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, just get somebody who knows what they're fucking doing. Sorry. Instead of fucking edgelord Todd Phillips. Yeah, basically. Because you imagine John Carpenter writing that script and having Will Keen actually do that? That would have been fucking great. Just yeah, great. It would have been phenomenal. Anyway, so my geek cred for this week, I'm just going to recommend, you can go out now. Uh, there's the first two episodes of Short Trek have come out, and they're all Enterprise-centric, so oh, no Discovery people. The first episode is basically uh, Ethan Hunt, Spock, and Rebecca Romain number one trapped on an elevator together for 15 minutes, and they just kind of <laughs> bullshit. And it's really good. I'm like, I'm so like, just give me this fucking Star Trek show. Like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, I want Picard, but I don't want anything else. I don't even want Discovery Season 3. I want Star Trek on the Enterprise with those three yeah. characters and a bunch of other people. Like, just give me that fucking show. The ship's beautiful. Lots of nice, beautiful renders of the Big E. You know what I mean? The big girl looks great. She looks fucking beautiful, yeah. as per usual. I love that. But these were real fun. It felt like Star Trek. There's bits where they're singing to each other and it's not fucking sabotaged or doing like Pirate of Penze and stuff. So it felt like classic Trek to me a little bit more. Like they were doing that, like, we're ignoring the 20th century and just going back to the classic stuff, which, mm-hmm. yeah, is tropey, but it's it feels right for Star Trek. And then the second one is the uh, is the H. John Benjamin triple one, right? Yes, which is yeah. like, first of all, it's really weird hearing Archer's voice <laughs> coming out of a real person's mouth. And then also be like in a Star Trek scenario. I was like, I don't know if I can handle like Archer Star Trek is not like a world I want to live in. You know what I mean? <laughs> like Archer can be over there doing Archer things and Star Trek needs to exist. I do not need that crossover. Yeah. But the episode's fucking hilarious. Like it's actually like a funny little bit of like comedy you can do in the Star Trek world. It does kind of fuck with the Tribble lore a little bit, but at the same time, it's so funny that I almost like don't care about the continuity dodge that they do on it. And plus it's the Tribble, so it gives a shit. Talk about a gimmick alien race that has well two good episodes to their name, I guess. Three now, I guess, with the short trek thing. But I really recommend getting into the these short treks because like 15 minutes you're in and out you don't get discovery syndrome i mean you do because it's beautiful but it feels like they're actually pretty decent yeah <laughs> and they're short yeah, so and the, the short the short treks between season one and season two are quite good prob- 
yeah, probably better fucking writing than we got for most of season two. Yeah. And there's still a fucking plot thread with the ship being in like a thousand years in the future that we have no idea. Like they still have to sell that out. Like that's part of the, you know what I mean? Like now that they've gone to the future, we can get there, but come on discovery fucking fresh start. Like pull your fucking (sighs) heads out of your ass writer's room. Yeah. Well, especially like they're going to, I I feel like they're going to get hit real hard after Picard too. You know what I mean? Like that's going to come out and people are going to just be like, regardless like, of oh, whether it's good or not. Star, yeah, Star Trek like, can be written oh, like Star this. Trek, yeah, Star Trek can be fun and we can enjoy the characters again. Oh yeah. my good God. What's that about? <laughs> but again, they did that in Discovery because I love Captain Pike. You know what I mean? Yeah. I fucking love Captain Pike. Give me a show. That's what I want. I just want that show. I just want Star Trek. Yep. Captain Pike. Go get Saru on go. the Enterprise and go. Yeah, man. Yeah, fine. I don't, and you know what? Keep Michelle Yeoh on Discovery. I don't want to see her <laughs> vamp up on my proper Star Trek show. Just do, you know, get Ethan Hunt and Rebecca Romaine and the Dreamboat there. I can't remember his name. So handsome, though. Oh. Who plays Pike? Anson Mount. Anson Mount. Yeah. Fucking, yeah. What Paul says, you know, Anson Mount me. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's handsome. But yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed the two short checks that I watched this week. Uh, I recommend people go into it. If you're, especially if you're like kind of having a little Trek withdrawal, because it has been. A couple months since Discovery ended, and that you know, I could have used some new Star Trek right after that to watch the taste out. So here we go. We got some new Trek to watch the taste out, and it's yeah. good. And you get to see the Enterprise fly by a couple times, and man, she looks good. That new ship, whew, she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's wrap this motherfucker up. So everybody, thank you for listening to our Exorcist episode. Uh, it's been a long time coming. We've been talking about this for ages, almost yeah. the entire length of the podcast at this point. So this has been episode 169 of Dance Robot Dance. If you haven't already, please subscribe. You can do that from any podcatching app via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you have any thoughts about anything we talked about this week, like The Exorcist or me rambling about Star Trek or whatever random thing you want to talk to us about, hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast on Twitter at DRD underscore podcast, or you can email us directly podcast at gmail.com. So I've been here with Tim. Say goodnight, buddy. Your mother sucks cocks in hell. Sorry, Karen. Yeah, your mother does suck cocks <laughs> in hell. Sorry. <laughs> this is Lens. I don't know what your mom's first name is. Pat, right? Yeah. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I got there. That was weird. Anyway, I was Mark. I am Mark. Fuck my life. I'm I'm done. So. Oh, and go watch. Yeah, we're gonna watch the. Yeah, my, it's my pick, and I pick the uh, original Wes Craven classic Nightmare on Elm Street, not the fucking remake. So go watch you some fucking Freddy Krueger, and uh, get back with us next week to talk about that. Doing a lot of Wes Craven this year. A lot of Wes Craven. Yeah, he's fucking like horror legend. He totally is. I'm excited to watch that. I haven't seen that movie in fucking ages, so it should be interesting watch, at least for me, because I haven't seen it since. We can see actual Johnny Depp, not fucking knockoff Johnny Depp this time. Yeah. <laughs> Did you like that gag? Yeah. I fucking ran with that one. <laughs> it's fucking great value, Johnny Depp. Damn Smith right. Elrich. Damn right. Damn right. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Go watch Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, we'll fucking bullshit at you this time next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Don't in- eat any pea soup. Yeah, don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let Jesus fuck you. Jesus, Let Jesus fuck you. <laughs>